Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey and you're listening to Transformational Energy Leadership and I'm coming to you from the heartland of America. Okay, during the show, over those commercial breaks, go to my website, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com where you can learn more about me and my business offerings and of course, email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. I'm on social media, on LinkedIn and Facebook and of course, you can go to this platform, it's voiceamerica.com under the Empire. Channel. Now, today it's all about influence. Influence has long been considered the factor for motivating others to action, a key ingredient to leadership. And my guest today is Jocelyn Davis, and she brings the very essence of leadership to light, viewing it through the lens of Eastern sages. And I'm talking about Confucius to the Buddha, Rumi to Gandhi, and many more. Her book is called The Art of Quiet Influence. Timeless Wisdom for Leading Without Authority, and it's chock full of century-old examples rich with powerful insights sure to accelerate any person's level of influence, no matter the role, position, or title. So here, here's more about Jocelyn. She's an internationally known author and speaker and the former head of R&D for a global leadership development consultancy. Her previous books include Strategic Speed, and The Greats on Leadership. She holds a master's degree in philosophy in Eastern classics. And what's really cool about her background is she grew up in foreign in a foreign service family, living in East Africa, Southeast Asia, the Caribbean, and Central America, and of course here in America as well. And she resides currently in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So without further ado, welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership, Jocelyn. Thank you so much, Matt. Good to be with you. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. You know, anyone who has listened to me on this show knows that I have such an affinity for the rich history that Asia brings us. I I wrote my dissertation on first-generation Asian Indians. There's just wisdom and a power and energy there that just really ignites something within me. And so I'm so glad to have you on the show. And your book hooked me right from the beginning as you talk about all the wisdom that can be brought forth from the East to the West. And and I, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. So my first question for you, because I, I often get this. People say, well, Matt, your dissertation is just so <laughs> narrow. So my question for you is, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, good question. And I I know that we're going to get more into the whole Eastern wisdom aspect of it. That was one of my big inspirations, obviously, is my study of of, uh, these Eastern sages. Um, But, you know, the other big thing that inspired this book is my 20-some years at this company. It's called the Forum Corporation. Um, And this was a, a corporate training firm that uh, specialized in leadership and sales training. But the interesting thing about Forum is that back in the late 70s, early 80s, Forum was actually the first company to look at this topic of influence and how do you become a better influencer, not a manager, not a top-down manager, because that was the common type of training at that time back in the 
you know, in the 70s and 80s, there were, um, mm-hmm. you know, companies were run on, on this, this, like the top-down model. There were these big stove pipes with, you know, managers going all the way up the pipe. Um, and so the training at that time was all about top-down management. But mm-hmm. um, what this company forum found was that people were starting to ask for training or learning about how do I work with all these people who don't report to me? How do I work across the stovepipes? How do I work laterally rather than sort of up and down? So, um, and nobody was, was talking about that at that time. So Forum was actually the first company to really start doing research into this question of not, not how do you manage, not how do you really lead even, but how do you influence? That is, how do you get work done with people who don't report to you, who pe- people who are your colleagues? Um, so I had sort of a front row seat on, on this uh, research and the work that we did at this company for many, many years um, into this whole question of, of um, influence and how do you teach people to be better influencers. So that was, that was really the, the main inspiration for the book. Mm. And then how did Asia come into it? Yeah, well, so Asia came into it because uh, I really have a passion for um, bringing uh, my, my my education and my whole my background is uh, really about um, uh, ancient and you know old time books, um, you know great books and great thinkers of old. Um, and my my previous book, The Great Sound Leadership, looked at uh, great Western thinkers. So people, you know, any, anyone from Plato to Churchill to Jane Austen to Lincoln, um, all these great thinkers of the West that mm-hmm. um, had something to say about leadership. You know, we, we can learn about leadership from them. So that was my previous book. And then when I wrote that book, people started to say to me, you know, well, what about, um, you know, what about the East? What about uh, Lao Tzu? What about Confucius? Um, what about, you know, the great sages of India? Um, and I thought, well, that's a good idea. And I was fortunate to live in a place where there's a, a college called St. John's College that has a program in Eastern Classics, a master's degree uh, program in Eastern Classics, which is you know, looking at these great sages and books of the East. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went and did that, uh, that degree, that master's program, and got just hugely inspired by... Um, uh, this whole, you know, the, the, you know, Eastern thought, Eastern philosophy and literature. Um, so the, the two sort of ideas about influence and then um, what, what do Eastern thinkers have to say about leadership and influence really came together in this book. Mm, and hence the amalgamation of both the East and your work in leadership. And it's, it strikes me that you were talking about Forum being there in the 70s and 80s and raising the question about how do I influence people who don't directly work for me? And during that time, we were going through, you know, phasing from the heroic, heroic traditional transaction, transactional aspect of leadership going into the more mm-hmm. transformational space. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great time to be there uh, in, in your career. Yes. Fantastic. You know, when I, when I think of influence, and I've had other guests on the show talking about persuasion, for example, when I think about influence, some people might think, hmm, it sounds a little bit like manipulation. What, mm. What's your definition of, of influence, and how is it different from, let's say, manipulation? Yes, yes, and, and that is... Uh, Exactly how many pe- the first thing many people think when they hear the word influence is persuasion. 
Um, so I actually um, spend a bit of time up front in the book talking about, you know, how, how is this different? This, you know, no, I'm not talking about persuasion or manipulation. What I'm talking about is, or my, my definition is um, that influence is the art of getting things done without coercion. So it's, it's, it's almost the opposite, in a way, of persuasion or manipulation because the master influencer is somebody who gets work done without coercion. And, you know, when you think about power, this is another loaded word, power. Um, power is, you know, we, we often think power is the ability to sort of, you know, order people around. It's the same as authority. It's the same as, you know, having the big title or the big position that lets you tell people what to do. But in fact, if you look at how things really work in the world and in the workplace especially, the people with a lot of authority, the people with the big titles, the people with the big, you know, offices, um, are often not the most powerful people because the Mm -hmm. most powerful person is the person who can actually get work done. And it's always been true, but it's even more true today that the way you get work done in an organization is largely through, you know, those, those lateral channels. It's, it's, you know, when you get onto mm-hmm. the project team and you've got all these people, you know, you may have a project leader, but the project leader isn't your boss. If you're the project leader or project manager, you're, you don't actually manage any of those people who are on your team. So you've got, you've got these teams that you're working in. You've got all these sort of interesting channels that kind of exist between the lines and boxes of the org chart. And the truly powerful person is the person who can work together laterally up and down and sort of in those spaces between the boxes of the org chart to actually get things done. And that has not a whole lot to do with your title or your position or, you know, the amount of official authority you have. And it has everything to do with your ability, your skill to influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts running through my head as I'm listening to you speak. I'm thinking of my years being in the marching band, for example, and you, yes, you've got your main conductor, you know, the person who's leading everyone and conducting, but it's, it's those section leaders, and it's not even, like you were saying, it's not even title. It's, it mm. comes down to people who can build relationships and connect with others. I find those people to be the most influential, if you will, you know, the, the people right. who can c- connect and, right, yeah, yeah, I, you know, when I think about all the Eastern sages, in your book, you address quite a few of them, and many coming from China and India, Japan, and so forth, and Islamic world and others, and when I'm thinking about modern day, so here in the Western hemisphere, if you will, or the Western mm. world, what what would you say Western, what can we learn from these ancient Eastern thinkers? Yeah. And that's a big yeah, question. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge question. Um, and I guess the, the sort of quick way that I would answer it is what, one thing that we can't necessarily learn, and, and this is what people sometimes ask me uh, about this book is, you know, oh, well, are you saying that, um, you know, Eastern people or cultures are all, that they're all like nice. And no, I'm, not, I'm by no means saying that. You know, I, I have a, I say um, early on in the book, you know, just if you're a Buddhist or a Taoist, that doesn't necessarily make you a nice person. Um, so it, it's not about 
looking at these Eastern cultures and saying, you know, oh, let's, you know, sort of all sing Kumbaya together. Um, Eastern thinkers are actually every bit as tough. Every bit Eastern leaders can, you know, have, have proved themselves to be every bit as, um, you know, ambitious and sometimes violent and brutal as their Western counterparts. So, you know, we need to be clear about that. But that said, um, it is uh, very interesting to see how Eastern cultures and thinkers, and by that I'm talking about um, primarily China, India, Japan, and, and to some extent the Islamic world, um, those thinkers and those cultures are less um, individualistic, less atomistic, if you will. They, they don't mm. think of the world as, you know, these little individuals running around, everybody trying to sort of get the better of the other individual, which is, which is more of a Western way of looking at the world. Uh, in Eastern cultures, the world is seen as much more fluid, much more connected. Um, community and relationships are very, very important in, in most Eastern cultures. And I'm generalizing here, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who you are in, an, in the typical Eastern culture has much more to do with who you're related to and your community and your family, um, your organization. So there's much more of a sense of that uh, sort of fluidity or interconnectivity. And that means that there, what, when you look back to these um, seminal books of, of, you know, Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism, etc., uh, you just find a lot of wisdom about how to operate in a world that um, is not primarily transactional or individualistic, but is much more um, sort of fluid and community-oriented. Mm. And it strikes a chord with all those concepts about collective collectivism, leadership, shared leadership, all those aspects that are so rich with, like you were saying, community and relationships. Excellent, excellent insights here. So we're at a commercial break. The time is flying by already. So when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. And for all you listening out there, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. And we'll see you back here in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to lead up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Pauline Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
you are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, everyone, welcome back. Our topic today is about the lead, about leading with the art of quiet influence. And yes, the word is influence. And Jocelyn Davis's book, The Art of Quiet Influence, Timeless Wisdom for Leading Without Authority, is the centerpiece for our discussion today. Now, Jocelyn, before the break, we were, you distinguished the difference between influence versus persuasion or manipulation. And you also talked about how you use Eastern sages to influence your thinking. And so let's keep this conversation going. And in your book, and yes, I did read your book. It's a great read. You name three core influence practices. And there's invite participation, share power, and aid progress. So talk a little about a little bit about each of those and what do you what do they look like in action? Sure. Sure. So, um, yeah, so these are the three core practices that really track, if you think about how uh, a team or a group might develop over time. So you have a team that comes together to work on a project or to work on anything. And you think about sort of the, that first phase when everyone's just sort of finding their feet and figuring out, you know, what's going on. And the, the core influence practice at that time is invite participation, and I want to emphasize with these practices that these are things that anybody can do and should do. And in fact, not just the leader, not just the manager. You know, these are for every, anybody who's, if you're just you know, a member of this team, this is something that you can do. So invite participation. The importance of that practice is that you know, so often we make the mistake of thinking that we can just skip all that upfront stuff about getting to know each other and you know, sort of, you know, hey, how many kids do you have? Or, you know, what, do you, what are your hobbies? And blah, blah, blah. Let's just get past that and get to work. Mm-hmm. And that's such a mistake because people really underestimate the, um, the sort of the uncertainty and the fear often that, that everybody feels when they're in a new environment, in a new team with new people, and everybody's wondering, well, how do I fit in? Uh, am I going to be welcome here? Are my ideas going to be welcome can I say anything? Can I not say anything? You know, is anybody going to listen to me? Do I really belong here? Do I like any of these people? Um, so there's a lot of that going on in everybody's minds up front. And until you can help people feel that they belong and that they are, are welcome in this group and that they really are part of a group, then you know, things are, the work is really not going to move forward. So inviting mm-hmm. participation, there's, um, I talk about a number of, of specific things that, you know, you can do to help people feel like they belong, and yes, this is an actual group. Then the next uh, practice is share power, and that's when, so you've moved past this initial phase of sort of, you know, um, feeling, helping everybody feel a sense of membership or, or group, groupness, and then eventually, you know, things are kind of humming along, but then you get into the power struggles. You know, people start to kind of jockey for control, jockey for position, and in that phase, this share power practice becomes incredibly important because, again, people are, people are afraid. People are worried that, you know, they're not going to have any power, that their ideas are not going to be moved forward or they're going to be, you know, shoved aside. So the person who knows how to 
sort of distribute the power to, 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 to not be the smartest person in the room themselves, mm-hmm. but rather to help everybody be smarter, to help the whole group be smarter and more powerful. That's really key in that phase. And then the final uh, practice is aid progress. And that comes into play more towards, uh, you know, o- ongoing as, as uh, this, this project or this group continues to work together. Um, what can happen later on is that everybody gets tired. And it's like, oh, let's, you know, move on to the next thing and can't we be done here and let's just declare victory and move on. So what the, the master influencer does there is really kind of stay in the game, can continue to lean in, if you will, mm-hmm. and aid the, the, the progress of the group rather than just sort of dusting off their hands and backing off. Or conversely, the other mistake people will make is, just, is to, especially bosses, will, will start to try mi- to, to micromanage. You know, things aren't going fast enough. Let's push, push, push. We're having problems. Let's fix the problems. Um, so there's a real kind of uh, balance to strike there where you're still continuing to lean in but not, um, you know, not, not pushing but rather aiding the progress of the team. Mm. And that can be that can be challenging. You know, it strikes me it's in some ways it, it's like the Tuckman model where when you're working with the team, you you first form, then you storm. You go through those those challenging moments where expectations are not met. When you're working with each other, then you start to to form and you know exactly. and, and yes, yes, and, yeah, yeah, forming, storming. Norming performing. Norming performing. Yes. Yeah. The good old Tuckman model. But what I hear you saying here is that within that, it's the leader really has a a sense of self awareness and a sense of what their role is of being. And I like that you're talking about that they don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Rather, they're stepping back and and finding themselves that they they bring energy they bring the sense of okay we've finished this task how do i lean in as you say and and keep motivating others you know to to keep going forward yes you know i i when i went through your book i i found myself i was writing notes down throughout because there were so many nice nuggets throughout and I, I pulled a couple here because I wanted to ask you more about, you know, just to have you share with the listening audience about some of the, the sage wisdom that you pulled from these. And in chapter two, it's called Applaud Anguish, and you focus, focus on anguish, and it's from the, the yoga. Okay, so help me out here. Yoga. <laughs> yoga Vasishta. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that was, the yoga that was, thing, yes. <laughs> there we go. And you, you say here that master influencers know it's better to do something counterintuitive instead of slamming the door. They open it wider. And faced with an objection, a leader knows that they can encourage it first. What do you mean by all of that? Yeah, so this is about um, this old, you know, sales training um, concept, which uh, anybody who's been a salesperson will know, uh, will will have heard of this. It's called handling objections. Every salesperson is taught how to handle an objection. And um, uh, at at Forum, the company I mentioned earlier, this was um, one of the key concepts in, in our sales training. And it was always the hardest thing for anybody to learn how to do. So, 
here's the thing about handling objections is that when, when you get an objection, which could be a complaint or, you know, an I don't like that or any, could be coming from a customer, but it could be coming from, you know, your spouse or your partner or your, um, your colleague or, you know, we get objections all the time. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. No, that's no good. Any of those can be an objection. And our mm-hmm. first reaction when confronted with an objection is to push back to say, oh, well, let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why this product really is the greatest thing ever. Let me tell you why, you know, you shouldn't be angry with me. You know, our instinct is to punch back, kill the objection. But what master influencers know is that that is not (laughs) the way to handle an objection. What you do first is you encourage. And encourage basically just means inviting the person to say more. That's what I mean by, you know, you open the door wider. It doesn't mean that you agree with the person. It doesn't mean that you, um, uh, you know, that you're saying that they're right. It just means that you want to hear them say more. And this is the most um, disarming practice that you can use when confronted with, you know, pushback or an objection or a complaint or an attack is to, to say, hmm, Oh, say mm. more about that. Or maybe you just even nod. Maybe you just sort of nod and smile and lean forward, with showing with your body language that you want to hear more. Um, very, very difficult to do, but very effective. I can imagine. And in those, when you find that you do that with others, when you say, say more, and don't have that, you know, that first reaction of pushing back, but rather say more, what do you find happening what, how do individuals tend to respond? Well, it's, it can be very disorienting, actually. Uh, if, if, yeah. if, if somebody <laughs> has that. done this to you, I mean, I, I tell a story in the book about somebody who, who um, you know, did this brilliantly with me. I was very angry about uh, this, this situation, and uh, uh, the person who I was angry with came to my cubicle and, um, and basically let me rant for a little bit and then said, you know, oh, t- tell me more. And I, I had this sort of, it's like, what? Oh, wait. She's, she had, and she was, she was sincere. She really did want to hear more. And then as the conversation went on, she, she asked some questions to clarify, make sure she really understood what I was getting at. And then she said, she started to play back to me. So what I'm hearing is, you're really concerned about this. Did I get that right? And so the whole... Um, her whole demeanor suggested that she really wanted to understand. And by the time we got to the end of this, you know, 10-minute conversation, I was, my anger had completely dissolved. I felt like I was a partner with her in figuring mm-hmm. out this problem. Um, you know, she had me on her side. She had, she had won me over, but not through sort of manipulation or persuasion, but really through a sincere desire to, uh, to understand me. Mm. Wow. So you went from, in 10 minutes, high velocity, anger, <laughs> you're really frustrated, you're mad, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. by her saying, tell me more, it completely brought you back down and you became a partner within 10 minutes of something that yeah. you probably you probably festered over that for quite some time before she even entered your <laughs> space, I, I right? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. what an 
awesome example for all of us to be thinking about when someone comes to you with rage. You know, in, in the communication world, one of the techniques I've learned is, you know, you match and lead. So if someone comes with you a lot of anger, you don't you don't say, oh, I'm really sorry. Or, you know, you, you don't come with, okay, I hear your pain. It's, mm. wow. You know, you match, the, you match the intensity of it. Say, you're really... You're you're sensing a lot of, or, or you know, you you match the energy level, and then yeah, it's to yeah. the conversation. But yeah, yeah. It, it it matches. So you know, I have to ask you this before we go to break. What are the biggest mistakes you've seen people make when it comes to influence, and how can we avoid those mistakes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So two things that I that I like to talk about here. One is um one big mistake that people make, and this is this tends to be a Western type mistake is that we think of influence as sort of a tit-for-tat. I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. It's a very transactional way to look at influence. And in fact, a number of authors in the West have written books about this where they really talk about sort of the currency of influence. And, you know, you're supposed to think of it as like, you know, I, I sort of pay out money and in the form of favors or, um, you know, the things, things that I do for you, and then I can expect to be paid back. And, you know, a lot of research shows that, um, that that actually is not how the human brain works. That, in fact, we're more likely to feel kindly and want to help people who, who we are, have, have been nice to. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. the more you are, the more you give to a person, the more you're, you yourself are going to like that person. So there's... There's sort of a different way to look at influence that is, is a little bit more Eastern, which is this idea of, you know, you're, you're putting sort of good stuff out into the community with the expectation, not that you're going to be paid back by, not, it's, not, not, it's not going to be tit for tat, um, but rather that you're creating good karma. You're creating a good sort of, um, you know, you're making merit for yourself, um, and eventually that, that good karma is going to come back around in unexpected ways to help you and lift you up. So I think that's a better way of, uh, of looking at influence. And then the, the other mistake that I see is um, people who worry about how much authority they have and spend too much time sort of trying to argue to get more authority. You know, oh, well, I need more budget. Oh, I need more control. I need a bigger title. I need a promotion. Um, and, you know, of course, all those things can be perfectly valid to, to want. But um, if you want to be influential, again, as I, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, it isn't about your title. It isn't about your role. It isn't really even about how much budget you have. Um, it, it's about, you know, your ability to get the work done. So I often advise people to sort of, you know, stop worrying about how much authority you have and instead start focusing on getting the work done and then... The, the, the power and often the authority is going to follow from that. Mm-hmm. Awesome way to, to go to break is to think about it's the karma. What are we putting out there? And what are we doing in our day-to-day activities and engaging with others and stop worrying about that authority piece or the title or more budget or whatever you're talking about there. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, for everyone out there, we're on a commercial break right now. So we will come back and continue this conversation on quiet influence after this two minute break.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Tune in for 5 Blossom Radio. Each week, host Denise Richard will discuss common interests in the fields of art, health, and spirituality. The series is arranged into three parts, focusing on five Blossom Gatherings, the Four Voices Program, and Fires of Compassion. Every program is available on demand, so if you miss any part of the series live, be sure to catch up. Five Blossom Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you where you want to be right now? We live our lives sometimes looking at others and thinking, the grass is always greener on their side. Not realizing that we have the power within us to pursue our dreams. It begins with a head start in the right direction. And that head start is with host Carla D. Walker and from the inside out. Believe in your abilities and take action. Listen live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back. So today I'm talking with my guest, Jocelyn Davis, internationally known speaker and author of her most recent book. It's called The Art of Quiet Influence, Timeless Wisdom for Leading Without Authority. Now, before the break, we were talking about a number of items or a number of sage lessons that were brought forth in her book. And one of them, well, we talked about mistakes that people make with influence, but there's some other things I wanted to address. And one, in Chapter 5, Jocelyn, you talk about walk with the devil, and it's based off of the Indian, you know, the Mahabharata, and the chapter is about converting adversaries to allies by aligning interests with them. And you point out that a pitfall in Western culture is that more often than not, foes are seen to be crushed instead of allies to be cultivated. Unpack that for us. Yeah, so this, uh, I always love to talk about this, uh, this concept of foes versus adversaries and friends versus allies because uh, uh, people, I think, uh, my, my readers have found this to be one of the most useful concepts in, in both of my books, actually. Um, so, you know, it's a really common mistake. Uh, and again, I think this is especially true in the West. Um, for people to see their relationships as sitting on this one-dimensional continuum between from friends to foes. So it's like either I, I like you and you're nice to me and so therefore you're a friend or you're not very nice to me and I don't like you and so therefore you're a foe or an, an enemy. And people spend a lot of energy trying to sort of fig- figure out how to either stay away from or maybe beat or crush their foes mm. or turn them into friends and sort of worrying about, well, who's a friend and who's a foe. But, you know, better, much better way to think about this is in more of a two-dimensional way because it isn't just that somebody can be a friend or a foe. They can also be an ally or an adversary. 
And in fact, most of the people, if we're honest, most of the people who are either allies or adversaries, friends and foes are, are unconditionally either with us or against us. So a friend is, is somebody who is going to be with us no matter what. A foe is somebody who is against us no matter what. But allies and adversaries, those relationships are conditional. So an ally is somebody who is with us because of our shared interests. Mm. And those interests can change, right? And so if those interests change and they become at odds, that person might turn into an adversary or vice versa. And this is the good news in this, uh, when, when you expand your view in this way of your relationships, you realize that this person who is being so obnoxious and, you know, seems to be working against you and why is that? It's not necessarily that they're a foe or an enemy. They may just be an adversary and it's because your interests and their interests are not aligned. So if you can, here's the good news, if you can figure out how to align your interests a little bit better with that person, then that adversary can very quickly turn into an ally. So the mm. adversary-ally relationship is fluid and dynamic. People can switch back and forth all the time, and master influencers know this. And so rather than sort of worrying about, um, you know, oh, you know, this person is so against me and so I hate them and uh, I'll just try to avoid them, I guess, or maybe I'll try to crush them. Instead, they think, huh, I've got an adversary here. I wonder how I can bring our interests into a bit more alignment. And I, and I give a number of tactics in, in the book about how, how, you know, what are some ways to do that. Um, but again, as I, as I say, this is really very good news because if you can realize that not everybody needs to be a friend, in fact, most people are probably better off with just having a bunch of allies, um, and most of your adversaries are really allies in waiting, um, you know, it just it, it gives a whole, 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 you know, more scope to your influence abilities. Mm-hmm. I'm having flashes of people who I felt were my adversaries <laughs> back when I'm, you know, working at the firm, if you will. And and one, I, I found a tactic that worked for me was when I, I I had this conversation with someone and we were just not seeing eye to eye, and I brought it back to values, you know, and and talking about. Mm. I, I believe, it, you know, both of us really value the same thing, high quality, mm. you know, all those kinds of things. And to your point, I'm not saying I did it right or what have you, but that person, mm. you could just see there was a shift. They went, yeah, you're right. We both value. We value these same things. And so it was a, I, I know that for myself that it, it has worked, but does my mind always yeah. go there? Not, I'll be honest, no, <laughs> not all the yeah, time. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard, right? But yeah, no, that's brilliant what you said. But I mean, that is one of the ways that you can find common ground with a person is to say, hey, you know, rather than getting into, you know, well, you want this and I want that and sort of digging in on your positions to sort of step back and say, huh, we really value the same thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that creates alignment in a whole new way. It sure does. And, you know, for the listeners out there, in her book, it's in Chapter 5 where she's talking about this, you know, walking with the devil. And, in fact, I even wrote it down and I I created the grid that you have in the book about your friends and foes and your allies and adversaries and how you even talked about your friends and foes are unconditional, whereas your allies and adversaries are are conditional. And Mm -hmm. I found it really insightful. So it's something that I'm going to try to continually impose into my thinking, you know, when I'm when I'm engaging in 
and working with others. So, Jocelyn, I talk a lot about energy on the show, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I really believe that, you know, we've got really positive anabolic energy within us. It's that life growth oriented energy. It's really positive and it feels good. We also have a bit of catabolic, which can be destructive if we live in that space all the time. You have to have both, you know, for, for survival and, and so forth. Hopefully you're living more in the anabolic <laughs> energy mm-hmm. sphere of things. And I know in your book, I think it was chapter 10, you, you talked about mm-hmm. Tend the Soil, and it's based on lessons from Mencius, perhaps the most known Confucian out there. And, and here you write about life force and, and vital energy. What are your insights on energy? Yeah, so um, this, this actually, it, it, uh, in this chapter, I have one of my very favorite examples or little anecdotes from all of these great sages. And um, this is from Mencius. He tells this little story about a man who was wor- a farmer who was worried that his rice shoots weren't growing fast enough. And so he ran around, went around pulling at them, pulling at the rice shoots. And at the end of the day, he went home exhausted, and he said to his family, oh, I'm worn out. I've been helping the rice grow. <laughs> uh, so this, uh, this image of, of the person who sort of spends a lot of energy tugging on the rice shoots um, I think is a very powerful one, um, and it speaks to this idea of um, how do you, do, do, are, are you sort of going with the flow, so to speak, or are you using your energy to, to try to sort of push or pull or tug? Um, and, you know, we can all laugh at this example and say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, why would a farmer go out and, like, pull on, pull on rice shoots? That's crazy, but... But we do this kind of thing all the time. You know, you see executives and they're facing shortfalls in the numbers and they'll like to say, well, let's incentivize the sales force. We'll throw incentives at them to try to boost revenue. Or if you're a project manager and you're realizing that you're going to miss some deliverables, then you might plead for more resources. Oh, you've got to give me more budget. got to give me more people. Or you might try to just, you know, crack the whip, like drive the team harder. So... You know, we do this all the time, um, mm-hmm. and what, what I, when I talk about energy, and, and Mencius talks about it as, as qi, qi is the um, Chinese oh, word yes. for this, you know, life force or energy, mm-hmm. um, one of the keys to influence is to, um, instead of sort of looking around and, and saying, oh, well, things aren't, you know, the rice shoots aren't, aren't coming up fast enough, so let me pull on them, you really have to kind of step back and say, what do I, <laughs> what do I need mm-hmm. to do here to actually make the rice grow? And usually it means that you've got to cultivate the field. You have to put your energy into, you know, watering and hoeing and planting and doing all that sort of upstream stuff mm-hmm. that then creates the conditions in which the rice will grow. Um, so in that chapter of the book, I talk about this um, need to sort of get, to get upstream and do the things. And, and really, it does have a lot to do with energy. It has to do with... Um, not wasting energy by sort of doing these short-term like tugs and pulls and pushes, but um, looking long-term and sort of saying, how can I create the conditions long-term for the field to flourish and, and the rice to grow? And what a powerful question for all of us to be thinking about. What are we doing to create those conditions and to cultivate cultivate others? It's that long-term view. So powerful. I have to ask you this question. Are there times 
when influence simply fails, when you just need to walk away. <laughs> yes, and so this is this is the final chapter of the book where I talk about my own uh, need to walk away finally. Um, and uh, yes, you know, absolutely. This this was a question that used to come up in our influence training programs a lot of people would say you know yeah well but there's sometimes when it's just not working and that that is true that is really true I think that there are I think often we're too quick to conclude that it's not working and that um, you know there's nothing we can do to influence but that said there are certainly um, you know there certainly can come a time when you need to realize that it's you know it's time to quit it's time to walk away what I um have learned and what I talk about in that final chapter is that one of the, the signs or signals that it is time to walk away is when um, your influence starts to be resented by a, a powerful person, a person who's, who's in authority, if you will. So, and and this, this is quite common, you know, because if you are very influential, powerful, um, and, and you have, you know, exercised your influence and, and, you know, pe- people will really gravitate to you. You know, if, if you are a master influencer, pe- you will have, you know, supporters and um, fans, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that can be very threatening to uh, people in, uh, certain people in organizations. And so sometimes you will find yourself in a, in a place where, you know, you have done a great job of being an influencer and that has aroused the anger and resentment of somebody who is who is quite powerful, and when that happens, then more often than not, it is it's time to find a way out. Mm. Yes, it, it seems like that that would not be a comfortable place to be when that person is insecure and right, right, not able to relish and celebrate the influence that you have. Right. Okay. That that brings us to our final break, and when we come back, Jocelyn, the pressure's on. We need to boil this down and figure out how can we make this happen in our lives right here, right now, okay. right today. So, all right, for everyone out there, stay tuned. We'll be back here on the other side of this commercial break. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Today's discussion has been about the art of quiet influence. And my guest, Jocelyn Davis, has shared many insights with us today based on the lessons learned from sages of the East. We're talking about Confucius to the Buddha, Rumi to Gandhi, and many, many more. Her book is called The Art of Quiet Influence. Timeless Wisdom for Leading Without Authority. You've got to get it. It's a terrific read. So, Jocelyn, here we go. Bring all of this, all these things we've been talking about, these nuggets of wisdom from Eastern sages. How can we bring them into our lives right now, right today? Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> that's such a, that's such a tough question. question yeah, because, <laughs> right. um, you know, it, it's uh, what I say frequently in the book is that it really is about mindset. Um, more, you know, I mean, I think there are, there are certainly skills and there are tactics and there's um, all sorts of things that you can do. And I list, uh, I have a, a tactics list at the back of the, the book that just lists, you know, a whole bunch of specific things that you can do. But, you know, as I was thinking about this question, you know, how can we sort of bring this into our lives today? Um, I think about this one example that I start the, the book out with, and it's an example of... Um, <laughs> from the tennis world, of all things, Bjorn Borg and, and John McEnroe. And um, some of you may may or may not remember these two great uh, tennis stars, but John McEnroe was known for his crazy antics and just getting really angry and um, you know throwing his racket and abusing the referees and um, just you know being a real pain. Um, and so there's this story that, uh, that I tell about um, how McEnroe and Bjorn Borg um, were meeting. They were they were quite young. They were only like in their early twenties, and they were they met up at this tournament and they were playing this match. And uh, McEnroe was he was already famous for his tantrums, and he was he was throwing tantrums. He was you know flinging his racket around and getting all worked up. And Bjorn Borg, at at one point, and it was tied. The score was tied up in, in the third third set, third and final set. And Bjorn Borg beckoned McEnroe to the net. He said, "Come here, I want to talk to you." And McEnroe reports, he, he thought that Bjorn Borg was going to berate him, was going to tell him to cut it out. But he didn't. What he did is Borg, he just put an arm around McEnroe, McEnroe's shoulders and said, it's okay, just relax. It's okay. It's a great match. Mm. And McEnroe, he, he said this himself, he said it was a turning point for him because he said in that moment, he realized that, quote, if we could keep lifting our games, I didn't have to worry about the crowd or the linesman or anything. So he went on from there, he, and he went on to win the, the set and the match, but he said for himself the change went deeper um, for him, and that to this day, he still he refers to Bjorn Borg as his, as his great rival. Um, he was always very courteous to, and you know, sort of generous with him after that. So it was, it was a turning point for McEnroe, just the fact that this person didn't berate him, didn't lecture him, but just put an arm around his shoulders and said, it's okay, just relax, it's a great match. So what that makes me think about is these, um, as I call them, sort of the moments at the net, 
What are mm-hmm. these moments at the net that we can create ourselves when we're confronted with this, you know, this awful sort of tangled, horrible situation with somebody who's getting all nutty and crazy and, um, you know, when we're in, we feel like we want to get all nutty back and, you know, scream and yell and um, get sort of caught up in that tangle of anxiety. What, what are those moments at the net that we can create? Because they're so simple, and I talk about a number more of them. You know, people who have created those moments for me in my career, in my life, they're so powerful, and very often the person who created that moment you know, that influencer doesn't even remember, you know, doesn't even remember that they, that they did that for us because it was so, it was just, you know, a one minute thing, 30 seconds, but they can be so meaningful and they can be so transformative. So for me, that, that's what, you know, these master influencers really do is they create those moments at the net that really help to transform others' view of themselves, and also and help all of us to, to as McEnroe said, lift our game. Mm. What are the moments at the net? And I'm thinking, and that, those can happen. We have, we have choices that we can make, and when we're confronted with something that might be ugly or not very pleasant, to, to remind ourselves, take that deep breath, hold our breath, mm-hmm. allow us to have full access to our, 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 the front of our brain so we have our whole brain mm-hmm. working with us. And to think, yeah, what's another way to look at this instead of our visceral reaction that we can often have? And that's hard to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, right. But it's so, it's so powerful. I think back to this idea of power. You know, we often think, oh, okay, I've got to, like, you know, beat this person down. That will make me powerful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Bjorn Borg in that moment just by saying, you know, it's okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great game. That, he was so powerful in that moment. And to this day, I and I read your book, and I, I saw that McEnroe, later on in, in life, he ended up being Bjorn's sage, if you will. Yes, <laughs> As, yes, he turned it around, yeah, he came back, back at him with that moment at the net, yeah. So, for everyone listening, it does happen. It will come back to you <laughs> in positive ways. <laughs> Jocelyn, all, all I can say is a, a tremendous thank you for your time today. I'm so glad you wrote this book, and it brings clarity to so many things that we can be doing, should be doing, should be sharing with others. And 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 I think one of the premises of your book is, you know, we're all in this world together. It's a collective community of, of individuals. And we have so much to learn from each other. And I just thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Matt. It's been great. Yes. And so for all of you out there listening, if you've got a topic or you have someone that you would like to have on the show, please let me know. You can email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. And until next week, I encourage all of you harness that positive energy that you have, lead your transformation, and we'll talk next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.